The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. I just want to, um, I know that uh, often uh, we do different things on the Lord's table as far as instruction, but maybe, um, maybe we haven't had too much of uh, some background and some lessons on this, and so I just want to maybe give you a little bit of background and then three reasons why I believe the Bible says here that uh, we partake in the Lord's table. And Christ instituted two ordinances for his church, and the two ordinances are baptism and the Lord's table. As we go through the Baptist distinctives, that would be uh, the, one of the T's in Baptist's two ordinances. And we talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper as the two ordinances, and as Bible-believing Baptists, we don't refer to ordinances as sacraments, and some of you may have heard this being presented as a sacrament, and uh, sacraments uh, don't, uh, are what are necessary, if you would, religion puts it forth, as necessary for salvation, it's a sacrifice that needs to be uh, done, and they don't pay for our sins, they don't uh, cause us to be saved by partaking or going through uh, these ordinances that God gives, and so we choose to call them ordinances, Uh, rather than sacraments for that purpose. And we praise God that we're not saved by works for our salvation. We're saved by grace through faith, through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And under the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, when a a priest administers uh, what they call communion, the wafer and the wine, the recipient believes uh, he's receiving the uh, Christ's literal physical body and blood, and whether that's taught or not, they believe transubstantiation, and that's something uh, that they believe in the doctrine uh, that they teach uh, when it comes to communion, and they also believe that this act is part of their salvation. And you think about many times why they teach and preach the first communion or teach that, uh, why it's necessary to do that. And, and uh, they have baptism wrong as a sacrament and as uh, well as uh, the Lord's table wrong as a sacrament. These are not things we do for our salvation. These are things that saved people do to remember the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow uh, in his steps as the Bible teaches. And so this is different than maybe what you're used to if, you're, if you grew up Catholic and grew up in a Catholic background. This is not to, meant to rem- remind you of that religious background. This is meant to remind you of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so sometimes uh, we, we, we get that uh, connection there. And the Lord's Supper was first given by Jesus to his disciples, the Bible says, on the night that he was betrayed to be crucified. And uh, knowing that he was soon to give his life as a payment for our sins, Jesus gathered his disciples together in that upper room, and they had this last supper. And uh, this occurred at the time of the Jewish Passover. It's commemorated the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, and Exodus 7 through 12 uh, records the plagues God released on Egypt when Pharaoh refused uh, to let the people go. If you remember uh, that last plague, it was the death of the firstborn and the Passover was a picture of that passing over of the death angel. When they applied the blood of the lamb to the doorpost, the death angel passed over. And that's the time where Jesus would, uh, would observe this supper, this feast, which would have been different from what the Jews would have observed when they had the Passover meal. And Jesus was there observing that uh, during this time of the Passover. But when Christ instituted the Lord's Supper uh, with his apostles on that last Passover night, he was, he was hours away from giving his body to be broken and his blood to be shed uh, for our sins. And he said this in Luke chapter 22, verse number 19. He said, this do in remembrance of me. And so we don't talk about that purpose from uh, the scriptures tonight. Let me just give you three things before we partake. 
Uh, the first thing is the purpose of the Lord's table is to remember. It's to remember. That's what God calls us to do, to remember. He says, this do in remembrance of me. How many know that reminders about things like this are good? We need to be constantly reminded of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need this reminder. We need to keep this before us as a church because this is the gospel. This is what has saved us. This is what has redeemed us. And so as we sing, isn't it great to sing about the sacrifice of the Lord? But as we do this, we're remembering through this, uh, this ordinance that God has given us Uh, to do this in remembrance. As God has called us to a remembrance, he gives us some symbols that stick out to help us to remember. He gives us first the bread, and the bread symbolizes Christ's body. And uh, earlier, before Jesus gave them that bread and, and said, this is my body, he had said to them that I am the bread of life. He said in John chapter 6, uh, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, Evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And as Christ shared that last supper with his disciples in the upper room, he was ready to give his body to be bruised for our transgressions and our iniquities, to be beaten and to be bloodied. And he instituted the Lord's table that we might remember the greatness of his sacrifice. Matthew um, 26, 26 says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Think about the cross tonight. It was a brutal scene, wasn't it? Uh, We just heard, uh, oh, the blood of Jesus. And we sang about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we be reminded tonight that the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There needed to be blood that was shed. Uh, Our sin required a blood payment. There was no way around that. And uh, his body, the Bible tells us, was literally torn apart. His visage, his face was marred beyond recognition. That's what Isaiah 52, 14. The Bible says every joint was ripped out of socket. You think about the brutal death in which he died. His body truly was broken for us. I don't mean to be graphic. I don't, I don't, I don't mean to, uh, to call attention to something just, just to be uh, sensational. I'm, I'm saying what the Bible is saying about the death of Christ because we need to be reminded of what he did for us. You know, the Bible gives us these details that we might truly be grateful for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the bread reminds us that Christ's body was broken for us. It's why we break bread. It's the broken body of the Lord. Listen, if we remember that, we won't do that so lightly, breaking that bread. Thinking about the broken body and the sacrifice of the Lord. This was a supreme sacrifice for our sins. Think about Isaiah 53. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes uh, we are healed. Not only does he give us the bread uh, to help us to remember, but he gives us the cup. And as the bread symbolizes Christ's body, the juice symbolizes his blood. And the Bible says, and he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, said, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so the blood that came from Jesus' broken body was the 
infinite, eternal payment for our sins. If you think about what the book of Hebrews says about Christ's blood, it was not by the the blood of bulls and rams and goats and those sacrifices that we've been, uh, that our sin has been paid for, but by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 5, 9 that we're justified by the blood. It says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood where no, there's no remission. So we're justified by his blood. We're washed in his blood. Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's so important for us to understand and know. 1 John 1.7 tells us, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. Robert Lowry penned the words, Uh, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. The truth is tonight, there is nothing that could wash us from our sin but the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says we are purchased by his blood. Acts chapter 20 verse 28 says this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers and to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood and instruction that he gives uh, to pastors in the church. He says, feed the flock of God. And he tells to feed the flock and the Bible tells us the importance of the church that God is feeding. Why uh, does God say, hey, seriously, you need to take in consideration your calling uh, because this is the body of Christ which I have purchased with my own blood. Here's the truth tonight. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. We've been bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're purchased. Uh, we're redeemed by the blood. Colossians 1.14 tells us, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Listen tonight, forgiveness for sins can't be obtained by uh, baptistry water. Forgiveness of sins can't be obtained by church membership. Forgiveness uh, of sin cannot be attained through good works or uh, good sincere practices. Christ redeemed us through his blood alone. Listen to me, anything that we would add to that would be an affront to the sacrifice of God, an offense to God, that we would say that something else had to be done other than what Jesus did. It's all of Christ. And the juice reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there would be no hope. There would be no help. There would be no way to heaven without Christ's blood. Listen tonight, salvation is available because Jesus gave his body to be broken and his blood to be shed to pay for our sins. That's the gospel. If you've, uh, if you've put your faith in him, according to the word of God, you've been declared righteous by a holy God, not because you did anything good, but because of what Christ has done for us through his blood, what he did on the cross. And uh, let me uh, give you the second reason I believe that he calls us here in 1 Corinthians to uh, come to uh, c- come around the Lord's table. The first is to remember. The second is to revive, to revive his church. He's called us to come together because he wants to do a work in us. I love the times that we set apart for revival services and extra uh, time to come together as a church family to hear the word of God preached. And by the way, that's important for us and that's great for us. But can I tell you, we don't have to wait until those times to have revival as a church. 
uh, one of the true uh, ways that a church can see revival is if we get back to the practices of God's word, obedience to God's word. And when we come back to that together, we truly will see revival. If you think about what he says here in verse number 27, he says, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. You know, through the Lord's table, we remember Christ's atonement at the cross. And when we do, we find that a fresh look at the cross is capable of bringing revival to the church. You know, there's, there's nothing that uh, a fresh look at anything else is going to bring revival to the church, but a fresh look at Jesus, a fresh look at the cross and his sacrifice can bring revival to our hearts. It can be, bring revival to his church. And this revival comes when we obey the Lord's command to, what does he say here? Examine ourselves before partaking. This is interesting because he doesn't call church leaders to examine the body. He calls the church to examine themselves. To examine themselves. Here's the truth tonight. I cannot determine tonight whether you are worthy or unworthy to take the, uh, the Lord's table tonight. Unless there was some kind of public open thing that was known, uh, uh, I would not be able to, to, to say anything to you whether you were able to partake or not to partake. But here's the truth tonight. God calls us to self-examination. He tells us to judge ourselves, to examine ourselves. And I wonder tonight, uh, listen, as we are gathered here, I know that it's early evening and, and we've had a long day, but can I, can I say this? Let, let's not let this moment go by where we don't take this to heart that we need to all examine our own hearts. We need to examine ourselves. Um, he calls here to a repentance of the heart. It's been said at the heart of a problem is a problem of the heart. That's why the Lord has instructed us to examine our hearts and to repent of sin that's in our lives. The word here, examine, in 1 Corinthians 11, means to test or to prove or to scrutinize your life. And many in the Corinthian churches, he's speaking, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, his church. Many were partaking of the Lord's table unworthily. In other words, they were doing it without respect. Are you with me? They were going through a tradition, they were going through a practice, but they were disrespecting the Lord Jesus Christ in that process. You know, I, I don't want to be guilty of that. How about you? I don't want to be guilty of disrespecting God, disrespecting the Lord, disrespecting His body and His sacrifice and His blood. And repentance begins with identifying the things in our lives that are not genuine. Did you get that? Repentance begins with examining the things in our lives and identifying the things in our lives that are not genuine, the things that are not real, things that are put on are not real. Are you with me? Things that we have to put on, pretend, are not real. And so he's saying, examine the part of my life. How can I repent? I can repent when I begin to say, what part of my life is not real? It's not a reality. It's not genuine. My motives, my actions, my attitudes, my thoughts... We cannot be honest in our heart of hearts with ourselves and with the Lord, then here's the truth. We won't repent. We won't change. And how grievous that would be to the Lord. He's, he calls us to uh, repentance. He says, First uh, Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. The church that was at Corinth 
They were surrounded by pagan, idolatrous worship. And some of the Christians in Corinth were still involved with idolatrous services and rituals. And Paul pointed out the foolishness of their old lifestyle most of the time and then hypocritically partaking of the Lord's table while they were foolishly living their old life. And I tell you, uh, it's very hypocritical of us when we come and say we're honoring the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in remembrance and then living our lives and partaking in our old lifestyles while we're doing that. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17, For we being many are one bread and one body, for we, were, we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which either the sacrifices partakers of the altar. Uh, what, I, what say I then, that the idol is anything or that which is offered and sacrificed to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God, and it would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? What does he say to them? He says you can't partake of the Lord's table and the devil's table. You can't, you can't, Serve God and mammon. You can't uh, love God and love the world. It's impossible for us to do. And Christians today need to learn this truth. God desires complete ownership in our lives. He has a jealousy for our complete love. Are you with me? Our God is a jealous God. You understand that the Bible teaches us that, that we have a jealous God who is wanting, desiring complete love complete ownership in our lives, and when we give our love, when we give our attention, when we give our devotion uh, to things that are in this world, we have a jealous God who's envious of those things in our lives. And to live for the world, the flesh, and the devil throughout the week, and then to partake of the Lord's table with plans to go right back to sin on Monday is a dishonor to the Lord and His love for you. The seriousness with which God regards the Lord's table is seen in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. Notice what he says. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. God has called us to be a holy people, a people whose lifestyle proclaims his greatness. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him which hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The world is looking for people whose lives stand out for Christ. Don't be ashamed of him. Gladly live for him. Uh, Then we see the revival here. The repentance of individual hearts will affect the entire church body. Listen, unrepentant hearts affect the entire church body, but repentant hearts bring revival to the church body. When we come together and we we say, I'll examine myself, I'll come to Christ, I'll yield to Him. He says this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church... I hear that there be divisions among you. And he said this, I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, 
that they which are approved may be manifest among you. You know, when we examine our hearts by the word of God, the Holy Spirit is free to work in the church. The Holy Spirit's free to do work in our hearts, specifically proper respect to the Lord's table by careful examination prevents the spread of division or false doctrine. And uh, that's what he's talking about. He says to preserve doctrine, to promote the authority of the local church and regarding church discipline. And he talks about how it will bring revival to the church. And then lastly tonight, and we'll be done before we uh, partake. The third reason I believe in purpose that he gives here in this passage as a purpose for why we come around the Lord's table is to ready us, to ready us for his coming, to, to ready us. Notice it says in, in, in 1 Corinthians eleven. Uh, 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Partaking of the Lord's table focuses our attention back to the cross, but it also points to the second coming. Hey, listen, with the Lord's table, what we do tonight is we look back to the cross, but we look forward to his coming. That's what, that's what this is tonight. We're looking back to the sacrifice of the Lord, but we're looking forward to his second coming. We do show the Lord's death till he come. And uh, notice here the picture of his coming. The first thing we see when we observe the Lord's table is Christ's body that was broken and his blood that was shed. And next we look to our own hearts and examine ourselves, asking the Lord to reveal anything that is displeasing to them. Then we're reminded of Christ's second coming in the phrase till he come. And then we focus our attention on his death. The Lord's table is a reminder of his return. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for the coming of Christ? Are you prepared for your death? Are you prepared for the end of your life? Are you prepared for the coming of Christ that is eminent? And, uh, you know, sometimes it's difficult when we have the Lord's table in giving instruction to be obedient to God. Because it's much easier. Are you with me tonight? I just want to just be real transparent with you. It would be much easier if we just distributed the juice and the bread to everybody and just gave it out and just said, you know, let's just all do this. It would be much easier. It's, it's hard to say, listen, this is what the Bible says about who's allowed to partake. This is what the Bible says. And, and we practice as a church what we call close communion. We're not close to only members of our church because I believe that the Bible doesn't tell us to examine people whether they can take communion or not. I believe the Bible calls them to examine themselves or whether they can uh, partake. Now, I understand tonight that if uh, you're in open sin and public sin, that uh, we would have to say we couldn't give communion to you. But what I would say to you tonight is it would be far better for us to choose not to say, well, I'm not going to partake. I'm not going to partake of the Lord's table tonight because I want to stay in my sin. The Lord doesn't really give that option here. You know what he says? What we're supposed to do is examine ourselves and we're supposed to confess our sins and we're supposed to repent of those things and turn to Christ. And what I want to say that about this tonight, don't do that so you can partake in communion and then you can move on because then God knows there's no repentance in your heart. And then we're guilty, the Bible says. But when we have a true desire, you know, sometimes uh, uh, there's been times where I've got up and had to say, listen, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, there's never been a time where you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, please don't take communion. We don't, we don't baptize unbelievers and we don't give communion to unbelievers because the Bible forbids that. And here's the truth tonight. 
while that's a difficult thing to say, there's been times when I've had people that have come up to me afterwards and said, Pastor, I heard what you said about I can't be baptized unless I'm saved. How can I be saved? How can I come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior? Uh, Pastor, you said I I couldn't partake of the Lord's table unless I knew Christ as my Savior. How can I know that? How can I know that? You Listen, I know that sometimes that's difficult where we say, oh, you can't partake. And I hope that you know tonight my heart is that I would, I would hope that everybody tonight could partake. That's my desire. My desire is that we would be repentant in our hearts, that we would be clean, that we would be presenting ourselves holy and acceptable in His sight, and that we would say, listen, my desire is to serve the Lord and be obedient to Him because that brings revival again to the church when we do that. But truly, there's sometimes where people just say, I'm just going to stay away because I don't want to quit this sin that I'm involved in. And uh, God doesn't give that option to us. He calls us to repentance, and then He calls us to a preparation. Are you ready for His coming? 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Think about that tonight. You ever wonder what you're going to look like or how you're going to be when Jesus comes back, what kind of... You know, uh, you know, he talks about that glorified body. I don't know exactly. It doesn't yet appear, the Bible says, what we shall be. But we know this, that we'll be like him and we'll see him as he is. That's a wonderful promise. But here's the truth of this. The Bible says that everybody who knows this, everybody who's, who's prepared for his coming purifies himself. So that's a sign that I've been a, become a believer that I know that I'm a born-again believer, is that I'm ready for, my com- ready for His coming because I'm purified by Christ and what His work has uh, done in my life, His grace. I mean, I know that we couldn't be purified without the blood of Jesus. There's no way for us to be. If Christ should return right now, are you ready for His coming? You know, the purposes of the Lord's table to remember, to bring revival, to prepare, uh, to be ready for his coming. And, uh, you know, it's given to us that we might remember the Lord and his sacrifice for us. The bread symbolizes his body broken. The cup symbolizes his blood shed. The Lord's table also causes us to examine our own hearts for anything that would grieve the Lord. And, and what I want to say tonight is, as we gather around the Lord's table, can we just be honest before God? Because he knows our hearts already. There's nothing that can be hid from him. And can we just have a a moment tonight, a few moments, for us to have self-examination time? You know, uh, I hate to uh, ever say this, but uh, we're going to partake of the Lord's table, and if you feel that uh, this is something that you just can't do, I want to give you an opportunity while we have this time of prayer and examination that you could excuse yourself at that time. But what I do want to say is this. I hope none of us would excuse ourselves from the access we have in Christ, both to be saved and to be sanctified by Him. And here's the truth tonight. All of us can find a place to examine ourselves and our hearts tonight to be sure. Hey, listen, how about we say like David, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. 
You know, uh, I mentioned this before when we've had the Lord's table, but I want to kind of give this illustration tonight. If you're not open to be searched, then you're probably hiding something. Right? If I don't want to be searched, I'm not open to be searched. You know, there's those times in our lives, I remember being a teenager and wanting to lock my parents out of my room. Usually the reason for that is I was not open to be searched by those that had access and could search and should be able to. By the way, it was their house that I was living in. And my dad quickly reminded me that it was not my door, it was his door. And, uh, you know, uh, I was uh, quickly reminded that the problem was not that he was trying to infringe on my freedom. The problem was that I was not open to search because I was hiding things. You know, when I'm right, and when you're right, we're open to be searched by the ones that have the right to do them. Listen, I'm with you tonight. I don't want anybody just searching me. Are you with me? I don't want anybody just searching me. I don't want the government coming and searching my home. I don't, I don't want people just coming in and searching my home. I don't want infringing on my privacy. But the ones that should be able to search, I should be open to. You know, I have a, uh, my wife, there should be nothing hidden in my relationship with her. I should be open to search. I'm not hiding anything. I'm open. She has access. She has a right to be able to know what's going on in my heart and life. And here's even greater still. The one who knows all, you know what he wants from us? He already knows what you're hiding, but what he wants from us is that, search me, God. I'm not hiding anything. I'm open. And God, if there's something that you would come in and identify as being a problem, I will quickly remove that thing from my life. God, I'll quickly obey your voice. Is that our attitude tonight? I hope that. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.